Have you ever chewed on rocks? There's really nothing like it. And it, it happens sometimes if you don't rinse your salad that well. You get it? You're like, oh, this is a, it's, it's a minerally flavor. Oh, it's, it's minerals in my mouth. Um, there's a, um, Alina and I, one time, we were, um, took a flight, and there was a free wine advocate. It was like one of those really big wine magazines that has like a bunch of reviews. And we were mesmerized by how many wines were like, Oh, it's a five-star wine. It tastes like forest floor. Um, but, that's, but then, like, when you have, when you, you know, you don't wash your salad, it's like, oh, this is what forest floor, this is not a good flavor. Um, to have sometimes, you know, if you have young boys, there may be a pebble that ends up on your, in your food. Um, you take a bite, and it feels like your teeth are cracking. Um, and sometimes, because they are, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel that good. Our bodies are not made to eat rocks. The dodo bird apparently had rocks in its belly to help it digest. And we know how far that took them. But given an option between rocks and food, most of us will choose food. Right? Most of the time, that's going to be our, our choice. So we're like, oh, it's like food or not food. I'm going to go with food. Um, especially if we're hungry. Especially if we are famished and desperate especially when there do not seem to be any other options. My friends, during this season of Lent, we are going to explore the deep end, those moments in life which overwhelm us. Today, we are going to talk about temptation. Hunger and temptation go hand in hand. In the ancient world and the modern one, hunger is used to describe a myriad of desires that we have. You can be hungry for another job. You can be hungry for a house or a car or a person or a chocolate cake. But the most important thing to remember about temptation, and it seems redundant, but it's so important. Temptation is always tempting. (laughs) If you are not tempted by something, it is not a temptation to you. There is not this like general category of, of temptation apart from what we actually desire in our particular unique circumstances. What is tempting for me is not tempting for you. For instance, I find bacon repulsive. I have no no moral qualm against it. It just like makes me nauseous. A lot of other people have a different effect with it. There are entire stores that sell nothing but bacon and bacon themed products. We could go on and on. It's very, it's very important to remember as well. Another important aspect of temptation is that most temptations have nothing to do with food or sex. But that is what society tells us. These are the only tempting things. When all of our life is filled with a myriad of desires, like all of media is telling us, you want this thing. This is a thing that you want. If you ever watch TV or get on the internet or see a newspaper or drive anywhere, there is someone telling you, you want this thing. Here is a thing. It's like, do I want it? But I'm being told I want it. Should I want it? Like over and over again. Even more challenging, to share with someone that you are tempted is really hard. It is to admit a weakness in a world that demands strength. I mean, you can flamboyantly talk about, oh, I'm tempted by that chocolate cake, but something real is much more difficult. It is easy to slip into being judgmental or to fear the judgment of others, as if if I say that I'm tempted by something to you, you may think, well, I like that, so is he judging me for liking that? It's so, like, the, the, the ground is so, so fine. 
So before we can talk about temptations with anyone, we need a solid relationship, right? You need someone whom you can talk to who's not going to judge you for what you say, which is hard to find in this world. Otherwise, temptations are private and lost, and they go, they go off into the ether. This is why Martin Luther said to sin boldly, because if you sin boldly, you know that you're doing it. Um, when you sin tepidly, it's easy to rationalize that you're not, it wasn't so bad after all. And so, um, but that's the same thing with temptation. And so we need to be able to realize that it's, it's there. It's powerful. So eating stones on one level is the fact that we as a society struggle to grapple with the challenge of temptation. The fact that Jesus was tempted. Do you have anyone in your life whom you can share a temptation with? Do you have anyone in your life whom you can say with a straight face, I'm tempted by X, and they will not judge you. They will take you seriously and love you for that. But eating stones also gets to something greater to do with Jesus' temptations. Most of what is spoken of as a temptation is what I call a particular temptation. The fact that it's particular to me, to you, to all of us. Remember, like every tempt- a temptation is tempting. So that's what's unique about each of us. But there are two general temptations I want to speak about today. Despair and pride. And they go hand in hand. Despair is literally a lack of hope. Des- desespoir. In French, it means a lack of hope. Despair is what the devil expects out of the temptation narrative that Chris read. Despair is when you haven't eaten in 40 days and you know you can turn that rock into bread. Despair is being taken to the top of the world and seeing all the kingdoms and telling them that they can be yours if you just give up a little bit. Despair is being called to fall down and have angels call to rescue you. Despair is a lack of hope. Pride is also an absence of hope. Not because you can't see it, but because you think you don't need it. You already have it taken care of. The proud have no need for hope because they already, they already have everything. They have themselves. What more is there in the world? Despair and pride, a lack of hope and a hope in yourself. Each is self-destructive. Each tears apart communities. It tears individuals apart. Each is tempted. I am more tempted towards despair than pride, but I'm tempted towards both. I have been tempted towards despair about the United Methodist Church. I have. It is hard. I have, I've had a hard, hard few weeks. And now we get towards pride. You might say, gee, Wilson, what is so hard? You have a guaranteed job. You have an amazing wife and family. And gosh darn it, people like you. You're a straight white man in this world. What is so hard about that? I'm also tempted towards pride and being a person who knows what to do and what's going on. And right now, I don't know what to do. Right now is a crucible for every single person connected to the United Methodist Church. Right now is a crucible for Berkeley United Methodist Church. For the Rio Texas Conference, who are we? What matters? Why should we exist? In this conversation of pride, to come back to me, why am I a pastor in the United Methodist Church? Why am I a pastor here today? Why should anyone come and worship here? Why should anyone serve here? It's a time of refining for the global church and for us. Jesus went to the wilderness for a period of refining. He was given the option of turning stones into bread, of eating stones. That is, of taking what is offered because he is not ruled by his belly. With the miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus doesn't destroy 
Jesus expands. The bread is still there. The fish are still there. At the end of the day, after feeding 5,000, there's still bread and fish. When Jesus changes water into wine, the water is still there. To change rocks into bread is to destroy them. And Jesus doesn't destroy, but Jesus completes and expands and redeems. When we are in the desert, and for me it feels like a desert, even those times when I feel like drowning in the deep end. When we are in the desert and we see stones, it is so tempting to wish that they were bread. It is so tempting to wish for another life, for another place. That is despair. Despair is wishing that my life is over and I have another one. It's tempting to wish to be somewhere else. If only I was there, then things would be better. To be someone else. The horizon of despair is immediate. We can't think of how to change our reality, so we want to get away from it. Why does it matter? Why should I try to live my faith? Why should I try to stay here? Why should I get up on Sunday mornings when it's daylight savings time and I can just easily sleep in? Why don't people visit me? Why do people visit me too much? Why does pastor ask me to do things? Why doesn't pastor ask me to do more things? Why am I included? Why am I excluded? These are all valid questions. I'm not complaining about people. I'm saying that we are tempted to despair. And all of these questions as well could be questions of pride. Why should I try to live my faith? I'm already doing great. Why should I try to stay here? Y'all aren't worth my time. Why should I get up on Sunday mornings? My time is more valuable than you. Despair and pride, they manifest in different ways, but they are tempting. Despair makes us feel like we are in the deep end. Pride denies that we are. What is interesting about the gospel reading for today is that Jesus doesn't respond to temptation from a moment of strength, but of weakness. He is famished. He is famished. We must remember that. Most temptations don't come to us at points of strength, but of weakness. After a confluence of events outside of our control that seem to have battered and battered us over and over again. Stuff happens. So much happens. So much is happening right now in your lives that for many of us, it seems unbearable. And the Bible is often misquoted as saying that God never gives you more than you can handle. And this is false. The Bible never says this. God often gives us more than we can handle. If you thought faith or being a Christian was about having an easy life, Jesus has some words for you about picking up a cross. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In Christ, we are freed from despair and pride because we are freed from trying to save ourselves. There's a lot in life we can't handle. The rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. Some people are horrible, sinful, stealing, and they are never punished, and they seem to prosper in this world. And others are wonderful and beautiful and kind, and they have tragedies befall them. Children, beautiful, innocent children, are abused in this world over and over again. There's so much brokenness. There's too much for us to handle. I cannot handle it. I don't think you can handle it either. God never tells us that we can handle everything. God tells us that we don't have to. Lay your burdens down, Jesus says. Take up my yoke and follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The actual line misquoted comes from 2 Corinthians in that it's God does not give us too many temptations that we cannot handle. It's not that God doesn't give us too much life. Like, we all have too much life going on. The point is not 
to handle it. It is to take up the yoke of Jesus and to lay down our own. There's too much to handle in this world we are tempted to give up. There's too much to handle in this world we are tempted to deny it. We are in the deep end as a church, as individuals, as a human race. The climate is changing. The seas are rising. People are being displaced. Suicides and addiction is rampant. Overdoses are rampant. There are children in concentration camps on the border. There's too much going on in this world. It's all too much to handle. People die. Our loved ones get sick and die, and they don't deserve it. It is too much to handle in this world. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The full Bonhoeffer quote is helpful. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every person must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old person which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise godly life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. In this broken world that we can't handle, we are not asked to handle it. We're asked to love despite it. To love despite the brokenness. To not have all the answers, but to still fight for justice. To not give up our hope, because our hope is not in ourselves, but in the one whom, though he was in the form of God, did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of human flesh. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The path is narrow that leads to life. The path of temptation is broad. The path of complacency is broad. And the inertia of the world drops us on that way. But you are free, my brothers and sisters. You are free. Temptation does not rule us, be it despair or pride. We are free to not sell our soul for a loaf of bread. We are free to go ahead and eat those stones. Yet we are not alone, nor can we stay alone. The deep end is not just for us. As Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Have you ever been comforted in this life? Have you ever been in the deep end and someone has lent you a hand? There are others out there who have not received the hand of grace yet. God offers freedom not just to you or me. If you have been comforted in your life, you are not the only one. If you have been blind about love in your life, you are not the only one. If you have felt lost in your life, you are not the only one. Good news is either good news for everybody or it is not good news. In this broken world, we are not asked to handle it, but to point to the one who has and who does and who will again. You are loved. You are loved. And the deep end is not a sign of God's displeasure. God is with us here. We see that 
and the temptations. We see that in a few weeks on the cross. God is with us here. And we can be free. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.